This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 23. In today's episode, Lucian, a registered counselor specializing in narcissistic abuse, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. What are some of the most important things that you should do to support someone who is experiencing narcissistic abuse? 2. Do narcissists withhold sex, praise or any other forms of intimacy on purpose or is it something that they cannot control or something instinctual for them? 3. Can you give some examples of intimacy avoidance? I'm not sure if I'm experiencing it, so I would like some examples of it. 4. How do narcissists react when someone triggers their feelings of shame? 5. I'm working in a narcissistic environment and I feel like I have enabled a lot of the abuse going on. I'm scared that if I stand up to my boss, I'll lose my job. Can you give me 5 to 10 things that I should know about narcissism so I can keep my job and protect my colleagues? Of course, speaking to HR is on the top of my list, but narcissists are slippery so I don't want to approach this the wrong way. Hi Lucien, thanks for joining me today. Um, How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you, and it's nice to speak with you again. Yes, you too, yes. Thank you. Uh, so let's get started with the questions right away. So the first question is, what are some of the most important things that you should do to support someone who is experiencing narcissistic abuse? Mm-hmm. I would say... Um, just to validate somebody, I suppose when you're living or you know you have a lot of um, time with a narcissistic person that you know you're used to maybe just not being listened to properly and maybe you're used to them gaslighting you um, so as a friend to support somebody you know dealing with narcissistic abuse, I would say just to you know validate what they're saying, believe them and just listen to them so don't be going in there saying oh you need to do this or you should do this or oh and giving them your opinion of what they should do just simply listen to them um yeah and validate them Mm, mm, yeah i've heard that sometimes like uh, if we rush into giving advice immediately that's not usually the best approach because uh often people first they need to just let it out and be heard before you can actually give advice. And uh, often, like, I, I think it's very wise to first just, uh, you know, listen to this full story, the full details, because then you are like, if you are being asked advice, then you are more uh, like better able to actually give the advice when you know everything as well. Yeah, I just think that that person who's in the situation they know what's best for them. So even if they're losing their confidence and they don't know what to do, but ultimately they still know what's best for them, Mm. you know? So Mm. if you can just be there just to hold them up and support them 
while they make their own decisions, you know, that will be the best thing for them. Yes, yes. And always try to think about the situation, like, like what if you were in the situation like try to put yourself into their situation if you are have especially if you are having like hard time like understanding like just try to put yourself into other person's shoes and that mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah that is great so yeah offer like be be the person that they can go to and be the be a good listener basically exactly as long as they know that you are there for them whenever they need That's the best thing, isn't it? You can give them. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Then the second question. Do narcissists withhold sex, praise or any other forms of intimacy on purpose? Or is it something that they cannot control uh, or something instinctual for them? Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether it's whether they have control over it or not. Or uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think we'll ever know that because we can't get into their heads <laughs> and open up their brain and find out what's going on. Um, but I suspect that they they normally withhold intimacy um, because they, maybe their partner hasn't complied with what they wanted or something. They're, I feel that they're trying to punish their partner for something. Um, and usually withholding intimacy, that's the best thing because they'll know that the The thing that's most dear for their partner is intimacy. That's what most partners are seeking. So by withdrawing that and withholding it from them, that's you really, really, you know, trying to harm your partner, basically. So they will either comply again, you know. Um, yeah. Um, the person here mentions about praise as well. Uh, to me, I don't think that narcissistic individuals would ever give praise. I think that they would probably give praise in order to get something, but I don't imagine that they would ever give praise just naturally like, oh, that looks nice or something, because then that would be putting them in a higher position, you know? So, um, yes, it just when I read that, I thought, oh, no, that's, you know, they're not, um, they're not praising genuinely. It's usually for a hidden agenda. Mm. Um, yeah, and of course, if you praise somebody, yeah, it just puts them higher above you mm -hmm. so, um... yeah i i agree with everything you have said here and when we think about if someone can control something or not uh, uh what came to my mind when i read this question i was like thinking that well if you pay attention to when this uh withholding of intimacy or any any form of intimacy happens does it happen right away when for example you mentioned if you haven't complied or does it happen right away after any other situation like if you pay attention to that then i would say it becomes pretty like that they actually control it or some that they you okay maybe I don't know if they how like like you said too i don't know how aware they are but at at, at least that they use the withholding of intimacy to get something that they want or to get their end met or their their goal achieved whatever it is yeah. so if you pay attention to when the withholding of intimacy happens then well maybe we don't know if it's do they control it or not but maybe we can then say that okay well they at least use it against us somehow so yeah, exactly yeah and i think as well the second that you that the partner does give in or they do you know do whatever is needed then the intimacy will 
you know, happen again because you have complied and they and therefore they're having their needs met. So therefore they're going to put the intimacy back into place. So, yes, it's all very cunning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, often the partner is so desperate for intimacy because that's all that they're seeking. They're trying to get this relationship to keep going and to work. So that's the very thing that they're craving. Yes, yes, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, that is. And have you heard that, uh, like, for example, when when you do then get those small moments of intimacy back, that it's actually can like activate your dopamine in your brain, right. like the reward uh, system that so there yeah. is this addictive component into this. Right. So it's uh, like very, you can find yourself in a very trapping cycle as well, because of this actually chemical reaction that is happening mm-hmm. at the same time in your brain or what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I hear this all the time from people who, you know, why am I still trying to be intimate or why what, why am I in this position? And that's exactly it because they're, they're, it's literally their brain is craving the next fix, you know. Mm. So um, it's a very hard thing to understand when you're in it, I think. Yes. And then I have also heard that at some point when the, I think this happens when the individual has already checked out at least uh, like, like checked out emotionally from the relationship, but that I have heard that they actually, they are the ones, uh, but uh, it's not withholding intimacy anymore. It's just like that they don't want anything intimate with the narcissist. And this depends a lot, like what the narcissist actually has done. Like, is there, for example, physical abuse going on and other forms of uh, abuse going on? But I have like heard many times that, well, well, the narcissist in my life would like to be really intimate and usually only sexually, like not yeah. in any other forms of yeah. intimacy. And then they just, they're like, I, I don't want, I don't want any any of that I've been treated so badly but they still are physically in the in the relationship but yeah in in there are many like variations and every everyone's situation is so different but mm-hmm. but yeah that is also what I've heard often that that uh, the narcissist in their life would all the time want for example sex or stuff yeah. like that but then the people in the relationship don't don't feel like that at all yeah because there's a difference isn't it? between sex and intimacy I think you know a lot of partners perhaps want the intimacy um whereas maybe I don't know maybe narcissistic there's a lot of um narcissistic people who um are quite addicted to sex a lot of affairs and extramarital affairs that you know um just a lot of sex you know in different places going on you know that can be quite hard as well I think mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, I think then the third question, uh, it's about, can you give some examples of intimacy avoidance? I'm not sure if I'm experiencing it, so I would like some examples of it. So when you answer this, can you also give a clear definition of what is this intimacy so that people don't think that, oh, it's only sex or, you know. Exactly. That's, exactly, that's exactly it. This is leading on perfectly from the last question, isn't it? Um, because what is intimacy? It's not about sex. It's not just sex. Um, I would say intimacy is more about, you know, having a hug, a cuddle, holding hands, this just physical contact, being close, even sitting together on the sofa at night, just cuddling up together. That's kind of intimacy, isn't it? 
having nice deep deep conversations you know about how you actually feel or what you like and um, being honest um, and open together um, and sharing yeah sharing your thoughts and ideas and um, yeah your feelings um, and there's of course that you have to um, accept there's a certain amount of vulnerability when you're opening up to somebody else so I think a lot of narcissistic people find that especially difficult to be vulnerable to be your authentic self um, it takes guts and courage sometimes you know so I think when um, yes when all these you know the sex the sex the hugs holding hands all of that is withdrawn um, that to me is them um, avoiding intimacy um, yeah um, and oftentimes as well narcissistic people they might avoid this because they feel so ashamed of themselves um, because they you know they feel that they're going to be rejected um, if they're a bit too honest or you, they reveal the real person underneath you know I don't think this is conscious in their heads but I think this is how they they are um, so because to be rejected that would be that would be awful you know um, but because I think as well a lot of narcissistic people they like to have a partner because it looks good for them it's like a, a sign of status isn't it you have a partner so that's good you're sort of socially acceptable you know <laughs> um, but when it comes down to the intimacy stuff that's a bit more difficult so I've put some examples here um, future faking is you know quite common um, so for example oh yes we can go on holiday we're gonna have this amazing holiday in this amazing hotel in this amazing place and then of course with the nearer it comes something comes up at work or there's a problem with the booking and suddenly the whole thing's off you know so so, so you see that as a intimacy avoidance that then yes. they don't want to do it all of a sudden anymore yes because of course when you go on holiday the chances are you're going to be spending 24 7 together and that might involve holding hands you know having a deep conversation all of these things just even physically being together even if you're lying on the beach you know for the whole day it's still there's no escape is there so um, that would I think that would you know be quite a threat um, to narcissistic people it's just yeah very frightening and um, even things you know about promising like a romantic dinner oh yes okay on, on Friday we'll go out for this nice dinner um, that's also that's sort of containing you for a few hours with your partner so that can be quite scary as well so um, yeah that's often um, sort of broken at the last minute or that maybe you know their their friends are there in the same restaurant uh, maybe somebody one of their friends will turn up and stay f with the with them for the weekend all of these stupid little things just so happen and you of course you automatically think oh well that's just a coincidence you know uh, I don't know there seems to be a lot of coincidences <laughs> so yeah mm -hmm. can you can you uh, because I feel like those examples are great examples if you are in the beginning stages of the relationship let's say like uh, go on a vacation uh, but when you are have for example have been living with the narcissist for quite some time can you think of any other 
intimacy avoidance examples because of course when someone is living with you then then it might not be the same as like okay something wrong with the booking because i can't stand stand you 24 7 you know so is there any other that you can think of yeah well even things like oh let's have some time on saturday afternoon let's have some time to you know i don't know paint the bathroom or something um and even that would be a good few hours spent together so maybe there'll be a problem oh no we can't do it this guy don't know there'll be some reason why that can't happen um i, don't, I think you know inviting friends round that's the perfect way to not be on your own with your partner <laughs> you know so um again all of these sort of coincidences they just happen to turn up <laughs> you know um yeah Okay, so yeah, so it's so... just any, I think it's anything to avoid just having time together without any get out. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say, so it sounds to me that the takeaway here is to just avoid any possibilities even for real conversations or, exactly. you know, the quality time being together and celebrating that, but then they nope <laughs> yeah exactly Not i mean you know often oh well work's really busy just now i've got too many meetings and maybe they're spending more time at the office or um you know oh, i'm too stressed just now because i've got a lot on at work it's all just an excuse to not not spend time yeah um then the fourth question how do narcissists react when someone triggers their feelings of shame? Mm. Uh, I I would think that the, one of the first things would be anger <laughs> and blaming the partner for the very things that they're feeling themselves. So, for example, if they're feel if they're triggered by something that you've said and they feel stupid, for example, then they'll probably put those feelings onto their partner so they'll project all of their feelings onto them so suddenly it's the partner who's being stupid so maybe they'll start criticizing them oh you're so stupid you did this or they'll maybe bring up stuff from the past just any examples to really humiliate them and put them down um, because narcissistic people they can't feel their own shame it's too uncomfortable so, you know, whereas I think non-narcissistic people, they would think, oh gosh, I don't feel right. This feels horrible in my chest or in my tummy. Um, and they recognize, gosh, this is shame I'm feeling. Um, and you sort of work it out. You think about yourself and what's happened in your past, maybe, and you work it out. Why am I feeling shame? Whereas narciss narcissistic people, they will automatically just put that onto the other person. So, mm. so it's, it's like... Very... Yeah, it like seems like uh, what what your answer made me think that they, when a non-narcissistic person, they find the healthy emotional regulation, which is the self-awareness. It can be meditation. It might be journaling, even going to the core problem. But Excellent. the narcissist narcissistic people, they just immediately rely on the projection in order to avoid the going to the core issue. It's like they don't have the skill in there or they don't see it as an option because it might be too painful for them or they are just not at all aware of they have only used projection for their entire life so they go again to the projection exactly. and use that yeah yeah because that's just they sort of um 
get into the habit of always projecting it onto the other person. So that saves them from ever having to face any of their own stuff, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And in the short term, you would like it, uh, it gives them relief. But in, of course, in the long term, if you think about person's development and any personal growth, it's, of course, it's very, very detrimental and affects mm -hmm. to their relationships. And that's why they probably are not able to maintain any healthy relationships with other people. Because mm -hmm. thinking about dealing with someone who all the time projects their own problems onto you, it's very, very exhausting for you as well. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a shame. It's a shame for the narcissistic person because they're just going to lose every relationship because they can't look at their own stuff, you know? So it's sad for both parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It so, is sad. Yeah. And But I think this is important point to think about because uh, there are many people who are in these narcissistic relationships and they like think so hard how do i fix this how do i make them see how do i help them mm. and it's it's this i think this is a great example how you really can't like it has to be the narcissistic person themselves who is like okay maybe i shouldn't project like project now my stuff but yeah like work on these by myself but yeah like it's yeah i think that's why it's important to bring up that Yeah. It's very, very like it's never you are never going to be the one who is going to fix them because Jeez, it's yeah. impossible. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's impossible as well to explain it. If somebody can't see it, then you explain it. It's not going to help. Mm. <laughs> it's just going to annoy them even more. And they're going to get even more angry at you. Mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. Um, and I often I I was in a podcast interview with one Uh, one mental health professional who treats people with uh, like nar narcissistic traits or that they have like NPD and he says that it is very rare that the narcissistic person comes to the therapy because they say hey I have narcissistic traits they usually come because they have crisis for example in their marriage or they have depression or they have other maladaptive coping for example um, problems with alcohol or drugs or it, it's always like something else and then yeah. they come and it's very rare that they come because they have realized that they are narcissistic yeah i think if you were to have the realization that you were it's just that it just doesn't work does it that sort of contradicts itself if you you know if you are narcissistic then you part of that narcissism is that you don't recognize it in yourself <laughs> so the very fact that if you know if you can look introspectively at yourself that would suggest that you're not narcissistic <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? yes um, yeah yeah it doesn't really go together <laughs> <laughs> yeah um mm. yeah i think we had some you had some great points in this in this question thank you And I think now it's time to move on to the last question, which is about narcissistic uh, work environments. So it is, I'm working in a narcissistic environment and I feel like I have enabled a lot of the abuse going on. I'm scared that if I stand up to my boss, I'll lose my job. Can you give me five to ten things that I should know about narcissism so I can keep my job and protect my colleagues? 
Of course, speaking to HR is on top of my list, but narcissists are slippery, so I don't want to approach this the wrong way. Mm -hmm. So this is actually impossible. <laughs> this is impossible to answer. <laughs> but I'm going to, I've written down like five or six things to help. But ultimately, if your boss is a, is a narcissistic person, you have two options. You can you can be submissive and compliant and do as the narcissistic person wants. That's one way. The other way is to not do as, as they want and you'll have to leave. <laughs> there is no, there's no other way around it. There is no changing of them to be not narcissistic. There's no helping their narcissism. There's, yes, it's, um, yes. I think I'm gonna say this later on. Okay, so I've just written down five or six things that hopefully will help it's a, it's truly an awful situation to be in at work. Um, this it really is. It's a horrific situation. Um, okay, so number one, I've put um, that they are only okay if they have the power and they're in control. So if you're submissive and compliant, then they're going to be okay, and that's that. Um, number two, the narcissistic person will never change. So if you continue to be submissive, you will keep your job. But of course, if you don't, you know, if you change, um, then they, you know, they, they'll either see that they're, you're of no use to them because you're not being compliant. Or if you're like this fantastic doing your job really well, then that will be a threat to them. So either way, you're going to lose basically. <laughs> This sounds really horrible, but that's how it is, isn't it? Um, number three, I put explain how the narcissistic person behaves in a work capacity so that the HR understand, but don't try not to mention the word, the narcissism word, and don't be diagnosing anybody as narcissists because we can't. So um, if you try to explain to HR, it depends of course, who's in the HR department, if they have any understanding um, or I've even heard of narcissism um, because a lot of people have no idea unless they've been through it, they won't understand. Um, yeah. Uh, number four, just to have evidence of how the narcissistic person has behaved um, so that HR will take you more seriously. Um, so the main thing that I would say is to keep communication to written emails or texts and just avoiding actual conversations. Um, if you can try and have everything written down and recorded, then you can use that as evidence because these people are very smart at times um, and they'll, you know, I think the person here says about them being slippery and that's exactly it. So if you have it recorded in words, then that might be of help. So, um, okay, number five, this is just a question really. Um, are you allowed to have boundaries? Does the narcissistic person, do they not respect your boundaries? Or have you tried to put some boundaries in place? Um, yes, that's just another thing to keep in mind really. Um, and then the last, I didn't really understand about the, the colleagues. Um, so another question really, do, your do the colleagues understand how narcissism works and how the narcissistic person works? Are they aware of your role in the situation and would they actually back you up 
or are they quite scared? You know, so I'm guessing with a narcissistic boss, they might be scared of one, the boss's behavior or maybe some, you know, horrible shouting or a tantrum, a temper tantrum, or they're scared, of course, of losing their job. So it's a lot to, to be scared of. So it could well be that the colleagues won't back you up at the end of the day because they're all thinking about losing their own jobs. So mm. it's a, just a horrible such. I feel for this person very much. It's such a horrible position to be in. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's, it is. It's not like easy to just uh, switch jobs often. It's not easy to, yeah. But if you do have the option and possibility, I, I would also encourage that because if you think about that, you go to work, if this is nine to five, it is and you go five times a week, it is pretty much of your time and it affects your mental health like when you yeah. are there. like, And most importantly, like you said, that you either, like you are either a threat to the narcissist. So this means that if you have any like dreams about going forward in your career, it is very much harder in a narcissistic environment compared to a healthy, healthier work environment. So... Yeah. I don't, I don't really see what are the good options staying in the narcissistic uh, work environment unless it's like, it's just like you, your situation is such that you just have to like right now, but if you do have the option to like work towards changing the work environment, I think it's, it's always best. Yes. I would try to apply for other jobs or different department or somehow get out as quickly as possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, uh, what my thoughts were about uh, this question when the person asked and protect my colleagues or they mentioned the colleagues, like, yeah, it's really important to try to identify like who are these colleagues kind of, because often in narcissistic environments, there some those some of those work colleagues could be flying monkeys and exactly. yeah exactly yeah. exactly for the reasons either that they are also like they don't want the attention to come into them they want they don't want to the anger of the narcissistic boss or the, any any attention they just you know they want to uh, make sure that they their their situation is secure or they could be yeah just enablers because uh, yeah, I think the the difference between flying monkeys and enablers is that flying monkeys they actually help the narcissist to spread lies and do evil stuff, but then enabler is more like they they don't they don't spread lies, but they still don't do anything to stand up or and yeah. and I totally understand why if you like if you have a family to feed and you don't like you don't want to get uh, risk your situation and job, but yeah, I think that would be a good great tip to try to identify. Who like who are these colleagues just enablers or are they actually flying monkeys and just yeah. keep your eyes open and see yeah. what's going on there yeah and that's right i think as well the i think with a narcissistic boss the only dynamic that will work are flying monkeys or enablers nothing else is going to work so if you're not an enabler or a flying monkey it's not going to work <laughs> that's the only option you either you know work with them and you become a flying monkey or an enabler, or you don't. Mm. <laughs> it's very black and white. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. So, whoever that person is, I wish them all the best and good luck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a very difficult situation to be in. Oh. 
I agree. But hey, today we had some great questions and great answers. And thank you for listening. And thank you, Lucien, so much for answering all these questions. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. <laughs>